when God told Adam it was not good to be alone, his solution was, woman. Yeah, that, <laughs> amen, all the women should say amen. And so she became Adam's wife, she bore his children, and she played a key role, woman plays a key role in the salvation of mankind. And as you can imagine, today, and I actually looked this up, just to be sure, that approximately half the world's population are women. In some countries, it's 49 point something percent. In some countries, it's 51 something percent, but you know. So here we have this important creature that we can't live without. She's created in God's image, and uh, she makes up half the world's population, so woman is a pretty important person. And women and moms bring many extraordinary characteristics into our lives and our world. And so we want to celebrate the uh, wonderful world of women. So we're going to start with, well, this is our, our slide. Isn't that, aren't this beautiful array of women? Yeah. So we're going to start with this, ladies. I'm not saying I'm Wonder Woman. I'm just saying nobody has ever seen me and Wonder Woman in a room together. Yeah, woo, woo. Oh, wait, wait, we got to, how, how does she do that? I don't know. <laughs> well, I really do believe that every woman has a Wonder Woman in her. And, uh, you know, one of the first characteristics I want to bring out about women and how wonderful they are <clears throat> is about her being multifaceted, multitasking. You know, it started in the womb. Did you know that? Now, I'm going to tell a story about the men in the womb. I, some of you know this already. So when the child is being formed in the womb, if it's a man, there is a yes testosterone bath that goes over his brain. And as it does, it separates the right half of his brain. My husband's lifting his hands, praising God. Hallelujah. He, wants, he likes being a man. He, I think he likes testosterone. Anyway, so that testosterone bath splits the right half of the brain from the left half of the brain. And so men, while they use both halves of their brain, it's just that they're a little more focused because, and that they don't intermingle as quickly the two sides of the brain. So therefore, they tend to be more focused. However, women are connect. Their brains are still connected. Oh, praise ye the Lord. And so I know that sometimes you men don't think that, but really it's true. <laughs> And so there's a, an easier flow between the light, left part of the brain and the right part of the brain. And that's what makes us more multitasking. It's what makes men more focused. This, these are all generalities, of course, but more focused and women more of a multitasker. And so women are very multifaceted, very multitasking, very multi-gifted. And so I thought maybe we might look at the life of a mom in a typical day of her life and just how this multifaceted, multitasking, multi-gifted woman goes throughout her day. So it starts off with she wakes up in the morning. And the reason she wakes up in the morning is because one of her kids comes to the bedroom and asks her something. And so she has to get up whether she's ready or not, right? So then she gets up and then she starts making the lunches for, for school and oh, and then there's breakfast. And then there's trying to get the kids to come to breakfast and wait, before that, she had to make sure you, you got the complaints about, I don't want to wear what you laid out for me to wear. This isn't what I want to wear. I want to wear something else, Mom. can I wear something else, Mom? Mom, I'm not wearing this, Mom. Oh, and then there's the kid that didn't get up and come wake her up, and he's still in bed not wanting to get up. And so she, right? So she's trying to get all these kids together 
get their clothes on, get them fed, and get them out the door. All right, we're now out the door. We're in the car. We're on the way to school. Oh my gosh, I left the cupcakes on the counter that I was supposed to bring to school this morning. Okay, we got to take care of that. All right, so now we get the kids. Does it sound familiar? Oh yeah, so now we get the kids to school. We drop them off. And so now either this mom goes to her day job of working outside the home, or maybe she goes back home to a home business, or maybe she goes back home and she, as a stay-at-home mom and she starts tidying up the house, cleaning up the house, and then she has to do things like uh, the laundry, she has to go grocery shopping, go to the dry cleaners, visit somebody in the hospital, see how her friend is doing, see how her parents are doing, take her parents to the doctor, attend a Bible study, and oh wait, the school called, gotta go pick up a sick child, Amen. And so from there, after school's over, we go to soccer practice, we go to ballet practice, we go to band practice, we go to the doctor, we go to the dentist, we go buy a gift for the birthday party the kids are going to attend. And then, by the way, all those things I just said, if she had a job outside the home, she still had to do all those things too. So then we get to the nighttime and there's dinner. Phew! You know, there's cooking, and, and maybe some of these women have wonderful husbands who help with the cooking and who help with the cleaning. Thank God. And for you single parents, I don't know how you do it. Um, <clears throat> so then after dinner, there's cleaning up. There's homework. There's arguments to settle. They're getting, there's getting kids bathed into their PJs. And yes, you children, you have to go to bed by 8.30 because you have school tomorrow. No, you can't tell me another story. Go to bed. No, you've already had a drink of water. Go to bed. No, you've already been to the bathroom. You don't need to go again. Go to bed. Have I been at your house lately or something? Okay. Oh, but wait, the day's not over. She goes to bed. And the next thing you know, she hears a kid crying in the other room because they've had a bad dream. Or maybe she hears coughing. Or maybe there's a child determined to come get into bed with her and them, right? <clears throat> and so after six to seven hours of interrupted sleep, she wakes up and another day starts again. And if it's, sing what did she say in here? Oh, and then you got to do things like fix the car and take care of the refrigerator and the washer that broke and all those things. That's right. I tell you what, women are amazing. Women are wonderful. Women are multifaceted, multifaceted, multitaskers. And mothering is a 24-7 job. So we want to acknowledge the wonderful women and mothers we have in this room here today. So speaking of this really long list of things that mother does, mothers do, Catherine has something for us that I think is going to be revolutionary in regards to lists in Proverbs 31. And just before we do that, though, we, have, we want to start doing our drawings. So what happened to our drawing? Okay. All right. Well, Pastor, everybody got your names in here? Pastor Chad, you want to draw, the, draw for me? Vicki Paget. Would you, would you, Marissa, Marissa, would you help me, please? <laughs> and would you hand these out as I call names? Okay. All right. Well, we need to, you want to take this around for the guys get to draw. Have a, get a guy to draw. Yeah, get Mark to draw. Lisa Marie. Miss Vi, here. Marissa, 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 this one here. <laughs> that one's for her. Thank you. 
<laughs> and one more. Pamela! Yeah. Exciting. So Nina, I do want to point out that you did leave something off your list, that at the most inconvenient time of the day, somebody in the family will pee themselves. <laughs> and there is a slight possibility that it's me as well. So <sighs> speak, speak in truth this morning. Okay, so yes, Nina mentioned Proverbs 31, right? It's this multitasking list. And I um, have a slide that I want to share this morning as well of uh, what comes to mind for me when this chapter of Scripture is brought up. Yet another unrealistic standard for women. Okay, are you getting this? So it's a mannequin. The arm is broken and hanging down here, but they still dressed her like this is completely normal. And this is what, like now this is how I need to wear this. Yes, this is it right here. So, so it, it does just feel unrealistic and impossible. And for that reason, honestly, I've just kind of shied away from these verses and just not even, you know, it's just something that women embroider on pillows for me and just something that I don't really want to take too seriously because I feel like it's something that no matter how hard I try, I just can't live up to. And on top of that, it's not even really culturally relevant anymore. I think this woman honestly spends most of her life sewing. And so I'm not gonna, we're not going to read through that whole portion of uh, Proverbs 31 this morning, but let me tell you that it is about an upper-class Jewish woman and how she's going about her day and all the things that she's doing. And she is making a lot of bedspreads and curtains and clothes and uh, coats for her family in the winter. And she's running a business and she's buying property and selling property and then planting vineyards, and she's just got it going on, this woman. Um, so my first thought was that maybe I could, to have this be more relevant to my life, that I could modernize this list and maybe bring it up to date so that things were culturally relevant for me in my life and all the things that I do that Nina mentioned every day, maybe I could apply it in that way. Um, just update the list. So instead of planting a vineyard, I could translate it to... Um, planting a garden in my backyard. Or instead of making bed coverings, I could say that I went to Walmart and bought some for my kids, right? I mean, that's, that's what I'm doing. Um, but that still doesn't deal with the basic fact that it seems like an impossible standard to live up to, even if I bring that standard into the 21st century. And it's a very specific standard for women that includes marriage, children, and small business ownership. So um, the sad thing is that how we approach these verses can leave us questioning who we are and if we are enough. And that's one of the reasons probably why I shy away from it. Like I see it as this measuring stick. And I, after I read that part of the Bible, I, I leave thinking I'm not enough. <laughs> and I know that's not what God wants when we read the Bible. That is never how we're supposed to leave scripture with that feeling. And on top of that, I have my own lists as well in my own life. I have expectations that I put on myself. And those lists as well um, just highlight areas of my life where I feel like who I am and what I have to give and who God made me to be simply isn't enough. And so 
Um, I want to flip this this morning and speak to you women and to myself to tell you that we are enough, that the work has already been done, that God is not holding a measuring stick up to our lives, and so neither should we, that he created us, he fashioned us into specifically who we are, unique individuals, and he is in us, empowering us in every area of our life. And I even heard God speak this message to me of I am enough this morning when we sang that song about nobody can worship for me. And he spoke that to me. He said, because Catherine, it's, I made you who you are. Nobody can worship for you because nobody is like you. Nobody has the heart you have. Nobody has the insights you have. Nobody has the passions you have. Nobody has the mind that you have. So only I can worship God for me because nobody is like me. And so this is a message that we just need spoken into our lives as women, that we are enough because he has made us enough and he says we are enough. We are. And most often it is society and culture that um, applies this pressure to conform to a standard, to a list. But this is not how God works. He is not about conforming. He is about transforming us from the inside out. So that's not how God works. God doesn't work by giving us lists that we are to conform to. So this morning, so if that's not what Proverbs 31 is about, I want to take a look to discover um, what it is about in a whole new way. So I'm going to borrow heavily this morning from a woman named Rachel Held Evans. And I'm just getting emotional because she, she passed away this week. And she has written some amazing books, and she was a blogger, and she was just a trailblazer. Um for women of faith. And she wrote an article about Proverbs 31. And in this article, she brings up three points that center on the genre of this portion of scripture, the audience, so who this scripture is talking to, and the language, some of the Hebrew words that are used in it. And so, first of all, I want to point out that this is a poem. So it uh, is an acrostic with each line beginning with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in succession. So line one, you know, if it was in English, would start with A, line two would start with B, and then C, and so forth, all the way through the entire alphabet. So we see that it's a poem. It's not about an actual woman who has actually lived. This woman does not exist. So that brought freedom to me when I realized that this is a, it's a poem. It's supposed to be about beauty. It's an ode to women, not about an actual woman that lived. It's not a job description um, that directs us to get married, have children, and take up the loom. It's a celebration of wisdom and action. It's the very last chapter of the book of Proverbs that gives a tangible expression to this virtue of wisdom that the whole book of Proverbs has been talking about. It's what wisdom looks like in the day-to-day life of an upper-class Jewish wife. And so then, uh, point two is the audience of who this portion of scripture was um, written to. And so, let's read verse one together. So I have this slide here. So this is Proverbs 31, verse one. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Okay, so these are the words of this king, and the mother taught him these words, and it's an oracle, a prophecy that's written as a poem. So it's a mother speaking to a son. So we see that it's a male that the words are spoken to. This is not uh, 
a list that was given to women to say this is what you should be like. This is a mother speaking to her son, who's a man, giving a poem highlighting the wonderfulness of women. And additionally, the only instructive words in the poem are directed at that intended male audience. So in verse 31, so this is the very last line of this poem now, it says, honor, which can also be translated as praise, honor her for all that her hands have done. So there's no instructive words for women in here commanding them of what they should be and what they should do. The only instructive verb that says this is something you should do is told to the son. And he is to praise her for what she has done. So that was just a flip for me when I realized that. And Rachel Held Evans um, did some research of looking into Jewish culture and faith and found that in Jewish culture, it's not the women who memorize Proverbs 31 and cross-stitch it on pillows, but it's the men that memorize the scripture. And they memorize it for the purpose of singing it as a song of praise over the women in their lives their wives, daughters, sisters, mothers, and friends. The men sing this song over the women at every Sabbath meal. Wow. It's part of the meal. And I actually went online and I was able to click on some of hearing men sing this. It's part of their tradition at these meals. So they're not a command to women, but an ode to women, a celebration of women. They are meant to honor and encourage women for all that they are and do. That's at the heart of how the Jewish culture applies this scripture to their lives. So it's not about the specifics on the list, but a poem that when it's sung, it says, I see you and I value you. It's a way of reminding women of their identity, of calling out the best in them, and reminding them that what they do is enough. And now I don't expect my husband who is here this morning to sing an ancient song to me at the dinner table tonight. That is not... It's not why, please do not do that. That's not why I'm sharing this. Um, but what would be nice is a word of encouragement for me, right? For him to speak something that communicates to me that I see you and I value you and you're enough. And so um, I have some more cards to give away this morning, but I'm going to put a little twist on it because sometimes when you speak words to women, if you give them a gift, it kind of means a whole lot more. Or if you don't know the words to say, just saying, I see you and I'm giving this to you because you need a break and a gift card will bless your life. So this morning, I want to give two gift cards to men in the room this morning so that they then can pass them on to a woman in their life. It could be a mother, a daughter, a friend, a coworker, someone that they, just with that simple gesture of offering them a gift, carries the message of saying, I see you and I value you. So who this morning, men, the first two hands that I see that go up in the air will get a card that they can pass on to somebody. It's such a simple, easy way. If you raise your hand, you will get a card this morning. One, two, I got it, okay. So it's Doug there and Jeff in the back, get those cards. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Okay, so the final point that I have then about this is language. Um, about the actual words that are used. So, um, verse 10 now is where the part um, where this mother is speaking to her son specifically about a wife and women in general comes into play. 
And the opening line is this, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. And this is one of those scriptures that if you've been around church for a while, you may have heard this quoted before. Um, or again, seen cross-stitch on a pillow. Apparently I have problems with cross-stitch. I don't know. I'm sorry if some of you... <laughs> oh, okay. Now this phrase, a woman of noble character, is actually this Hebrew word, eshet shayil. And it is, um, just a better translation of that is woman of valor. And so to to translate that woman of noble character into a woman of valor. It's a woman of valor who can find. And some Jewish women actually use this phrase as a blessing to cheer other women on. It's something like the Jewish, you go girl, is when they say, eshet chayil, for each other. So when someone beats cancer, runs their first 5K, graduates from school with a new degree, one woman will say to each other, eshet chayil. Woman of valor. So the, and the point of that is that it's not about what you're doing. Again, it's not about the list. It's not about your role. It's, the, it's about how you do that thing that you're doing. So it's the valor you bring to the things that you do that actually makes you a Proverbs 31 woman. And that's how the Jewish culture, the women in the Jewish culture, apply this to their lives. And so if we follow the language of Eshet Chayil in the Bible, we find another Proverbs 31 woman, and her name was Ruth. And a man, Boaz, said these words to her in Ruth 3.11. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And so that phrase again, a woman of noble character, is actually Eshet Chayil, woman of valor. And I think it's important to point this out because circumstantially, her life looked nothing like the life of the woman depicted in Proverbs 31. So in the words now of Rachel Held Evans, she says, Ruth did not spend her days making clothes for her husband. She had no husband. She was widowed. Ruth's children did not rise up and call her blessed. She was childless. Ruth didn't spend her days exchanging fine linens with the merchants and keeping an immaculate home. She worked all day in the sun gleaning leftovers from other people's fields, which was a provision made for the poorest of the poor in Israel. And yet, guess what Boaz says of Ruth before she gets married, before she has a child, before she becomes a wealthy and influential woman. Ruth is identified as a woman of valor, not because she checked off some Proverbs 31 to-do list by getting married, keeping a clean house, and producing children, but because she lived her life with incredible bravery, wisdom, and strength. She lived her life with valor. So, women, it's not about the roles on a list or the expectations that we most often put, about, put on ourselves. It's about you and me, women of valor, who show up every day with our unique gifts, insights, passions, and callings. Who we are is enough and exactly what is needed to bring hope and healing to the world. So, so I just got freedom from looking at what Rachel Held Evans had to say through her research of the Jewish culture and how they interpret Proverbs 31. And I hope it brought you some freedom as well this morning. So I have two more to give out that we're going to draw for women. Some women of valor, some Eshet Chayils in the room. Let's see. Okay. So... 
Vanita Paget. Woohoo! Okay. I'm gonna fish around here. Kathy Randolph. <laughs> Well, I'm certainly relieved to hear that about Proverbs 31. Had anyone ever heard all of that about the Proverbs 31 woman before? What a revelation of understanding, because it was always like, this is too big of a list. We can't live up to it, and that's not what it was meant to be at all. Thank you so much, Catherine. Well, I want to, as we continue to talk about the wonderful world of women, I want to talk a little bit about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She is probably my favorite woman in the Bible, because I just think, what an incredible woman to have accepted this assignment, and then, of course, raised the Son of God. And I don't know about you, but when you think of Mary, do you kind of think of perfection in a woman? Do you kind of think, you know, all the pictures, right? All the pictures portray her with this halo, right? She's holding baby Jesus, and baby Jesus has a halo, and she has a halo, and, and she's so holy, because, of course, she did such a holy thing, and she's so amazing and so special to, raise the, to bear and raise the Son of God. And she is, and she is. But I got to thinking about Mary more in all of this as I was preparing. And first of all, I, this is an amazing fact. I bet most of you know this, that she was only 12 to 14 years old when Gabriel came to her. So by the time she had Jesus, she was no more than 15. Imagine. You, how old is Hannah? 13. Imagine. Wow. And, I mean, how in the world did she do this? It was a very simple life. She lived in a little town of Nazareth, 400 people, something like that, and, you know, mud brick type, stone type, type homes. And, and, um, and, of course, she was a tremendous woman of faith. And I, I definitely acknowledge that. When Gabriel came to her and said, you know, blessed are you amongst women, and, and she went, what manner of greeting is that? And he told her, you know, you're going, the whole, you know, you're going to bear the Son of God. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And her response, be it unto me according to your word. Wow. I don't know if she fully understood what that all meant or not. But nevertheless... In the presence of that great, there had, it had to be a great presence of the Spirit of God in that place for such a monumental, pivotal thing to take place. It's pivotal in all of eternity. And, and in that presence, you know, she just said, whether she understood it all or not, be it unto me according to your word. And that's a pretty major thing. And of course, you know, she faced rejection, the possibility of rejection, her whole family being rejected to be pregnant without a husband. And so many things. What a wonderful woman, for sure. But I got to thinking about her everyday life. You know, there's not much recorded about her everyday life, right? And one of the things you find in Scripture is that Jesus had at least four brothers. There was James, Judah, Jude, Simon, and Joseph, and at least two sisters, because it talks about his sisters, plural, so we know it's at least two. So that's at least six more kids that Mary had somewhere along the way to raise, so she's and I wonder if she ever said, why don't you be more like your big brother, Jesus, right? You know, I mean, you know, see, seeing as we know he was, he, he was without sin, right? He must have been a good child. <laughs> but he did have to grow. She did have to train him. She did have to teach him. But I wonder what she said to the other kids. I, you know, I wonder if she had to settle arguments amongst the kids. I want to do this. I want to do that. Oh, he said this. She said that. Make him stop. Make him stop. You think maybe she might have had to do that in all of her years? They weren't all Jesus, after all. 
<laughs> you think maybe they ran circles around her skirt while they were chasing each other and she was trying to get stuff done, you know? Maybe they were outside playing with sticks and stones and some sort of game that you would play back then and they wouldn't come in for dinner time, you know? I, I think maybe this great woman of faith and who is to be admired lived a very normal and everyday life of raising children. And I think the message in that is this. Here we think sometimes our lives are just so ordinary and, and they're nothing special. And day in and day out and day in and day out, I'm breaking up arguments, I'm fixing meals, I'm washing clothes, I'm doing all these things we do as moms. And we think, this is nothing great. I know there's something more for me to do in life. I know God has a bigger plan. I know God has something more. Well, God did have a big plan for Mary, the mother of Jesus. But I also think she led an everyday life just like every mom in this room has lived. So I got to thinking, you know, if she lived today in modern society, I wonder if she might have um, posted this meme out on social media. I'm just a mama boy standing in front of a toilet asking there to be enough urine-free space for my left butt cheek. Now, if she lived today, maybe she would have posted this meme. She believed she could, and she almost did. But then someone asked her repeatedly for a snack, and she lost track of what she was doing. <laughs> Is that kind of like true? <laughs> Another story about Mary that I thought about. Remember, y'all all remember this story that when Jesus was 12, that it was their custom to go to Jerusalem for Passover to celebrate the Passover. And, when, and, and a lot of people went. And when they left there, you may recall that um, a day later, a day later, they realized they didn't have Jesus with him, right? And as a matter of fact, it took three more days then to find him, right? Oh man, what kind of mother was she? What kind, you know, I know it was Mary and Joseph. So that reminded me of a story that Jeff and I experienced. It was our custom in the 80s and early 90s to annually, just like they went annually to Jerusalem to, for the Passover, we went annually to our church conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We went year after year, and most years, Grandma would watch Lisa while we would go for the week at, in Tulsa. But this year, we took Lisa with us. I don't remember how old she was. I wish she was here to tell her side of the story. Maybe 10, 11, 12, you think? Do you remember? No, no older than that. And of course, they had class. This conference that we went to had 1,500 to 2,000 people attending it. And they, it was held in a hotel, church conference. And, um, and there were rooms and, and classes for the different age, ages of kids. So she would go to her class. And, and we would go to the morning sessions. And as was our custom, we would get together with some other couples there that maybe we hadn't seen in a while or somebody we wanted to get to know more. And we'd all go to lunch. We'd meet up after the morning sessions and go to lunch together. So this particular morning... We met up with this couple, met him up in the foyer of the hotel, and went and got the car. In the car, we had rented a car. Jeff was driving, and I specifically remember being turned in my seat, looking at in the back, and they, this other couple was talking. And as they were talking, and I'm listening, somehow or another, it comes into my consciousness. Oh my gosh, where's Lisa? We didn't bring Lisa, and we had left her at the hotel. 
and totally forgotten that she was with us because all those other years we had never brought her with us. Oh my gosh, I was panicked. I am like, oh my gosh, what a terrible mother. How horrible. Oh, she's going to be so upset. She's going to be crying. I, oh my gosh, we've got to get back and get Lisa. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we left her. What a terrible parent. We get back there. She's in the foyer waiting for us and goes, oh, hi. And it turns out that she just figured she'd gone up to the room to look for us and come back down. She just, and she had just gotten back down. She just figured she hadn't run into us yet. She didn't know we'd left her like the terrible parents that we were leaving our daughter in a hotel in another city. Poor thing. I wish I'd, I'd love to hear her side of the story there. They went to a wedding in Colorado Springs last night. So that's why they're not here this morning. So it's kind of like Mary. I think about Mary leaving her. And, and Joseph leaving Jesus, and I know there's, they talk about reasons of why they might not have noticed. I had a reason. I didn't notice we didn't bring Lisa along. But still, how would you feel? It does say that Mary said to, they said to Jesus when they found him, why did you worry us this way? So they were quite worried about what had happened to their son. So I wonder if Mary lived today in, in the normalcy of all of our lives and that things we do as parents that sometimes we wish we hadn't done or what were we thinking? I wonder if she would have posted on social media what she'd done. Oh my gosh, left Jesus at the temple. Took us four days to find him, but praise Yahweh, we finally found him. And so then a friend of hers might have sent back this meme to her. Don't be so hard on yourself. The mom in E.T. had an alien living in her house for days and didn't even notice. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> all right. There's one more thing I want to point out. So women, I, I hope that all of you will realize that you're anointed and wonderful and God uses you and God has a plan in your life even when you have ordinary everyday lives. So the last point, <clears throat> what'd you say? Who was seven? Lisa was seven? No way. No way, she was not seven. I don't, I'm going to have to talk to her about that. I don't believe she was seven. Oh my gosh, we're, what terrible parents we were. How could we leave our seven-year-old running through a hotel? Second grade, oh Lisa, I'm so sorry. What a horrible mother I was. Okay, anyway, thank God he loves us and takes care of these things. Ah. Okay, it's too bad she's not here to tell her side of the story. <laughs> All right, last point I want to make about, that, um, about women that I really, really love about women and I think makes kind of a special point, and that is, is that women are relational. You know, here's the deal, folks. We're all relational in some form or fashion, but women have a real tendency towards relationships. And here's the reason I think why. is because we were created with a womb. And a womb is meant to carry a life on the inside of you. And for those of you who have been pregnant, you carry a human being in your very own body for, you know, nine months, close to your heart. Every move you make, 24-7, you're making it with another human being. If you, you know, whether you walk or run or sit, how long you stand up, rolling over in bed at month eight, you know, all of these things you're sacrificing, you're giving your life, oh, there's morning sickness, heartburn, you know, all these things you've sacrificed, you live all because 
you're nurturing another life. And even if you've never carried a baby, the fact is if a woman is created with a womb and she's created to be relational, she nurtures, she gives, she sacrifices for the sake of relationship. The very word mother, I was so shocked. I, I believe this truth. I know yesterday I was so shocked when I looked up the word mother in the Old Testament, and it actually means the bond of the family. The bond of the family. And I think so many times that's what women do. They bond all the people in the family together because they're so relational. You know, the word mother is both a noun and a verb. So, for instance, Catherine, you are a mother. But mothers, women, mother as a noun as well. So whether you have children or not, we mother our friends. We nurture and we care about our friends. We mother people at church. We have the church family, and there's many who mother in the church and nurture and care and bring that bond of family together in relationship. I just think, you know, Catherine pointed this out to me the other day. You know, family has always been God's idea. He, he chose to represent himself as family, father and son, and that we would be brothers and sisters. And the woman dynamic is that relational bond Let's face it, guys. You go out, you grunt on the racquetball court, <laughs> and that's your relationship, right? My husband's raising his hand. Okay, amen. We laugh many times because if I have a dinner or a lunch with a woman, Jeff knows it'll be a minimum of two hours, if not three, before I get home. He's going. <laughs> and for him, it's an hour and an hour and a half. You guys, that's the way you are. This is part of that relational bonding of women that holds families together. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful characteristic that women bring into our world and that God created women to be. So, I want to say this. Women, we all have a Wonder Woman inside of us. You are multifaceted, multi-talented, multitaskers, multi-gifted. You operate with faith every day of your life, even in what looks like an ordinary life. Did you know that it is to the woman that God said, Actually, he said it to the serpent, but about the woman. In Genesis 3.15, after the fall, he said it would be the offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. So not only did God immediately bring in redemption after the fall and say, don't worry, we got it covered, but he also highlighted the woman in that redemption. And I think maybe it's because he wanted her to know, yes, I know you listen to the serpent, but you're going to play a special role in the redemption of mankind. And I think that even yet today, women are carrying the seed of whatever God's promises are 
whatever plan or vision he puts in your heart, and you say, yes, be it unto me according to your word, and then you go out and you bring and you nurture and you bring into fruition different plans and purposes that continue the redemptive plan of God in the earth. You're relational, you hold the family together, you create relationships everywhere you go, you carry and bring forth parts of the redemptive plans of God. And as Catherine pointed out, you are enough. And actually, we were talking about this, we really believe you're more than you even know. You're more than you, just by being who you are, right now, you are more than you even know. And so we wanna celebrate mothers and women today and tell you thank you for all that you do in faithfully living out uh, your lives. <laughs>